0: So we've already looked at Matthew's account of the resurrection, we've looked at John's account up to the resurrection, now we are going to look at Luke's account. So if you want to turn in your Bible to Luke, chapter 24, we'll read that first, and then we will uh, go into our main text for today, which is where we are in the Gospel of John. So Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood with them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary, Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But their words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking Looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. You're probably already noticing that there are people in Luke's account that don't appear in Matthew or Mark and there are people who do appear in Luke's account the names of the women for example that are not in Matthew and Mark that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about these things that had happened when they were talking and discussing together while they were talking and discussing together Jesus himself drew near and went with them all that the scriptures, but all, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were going farther. He were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, "Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked? While, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures?" And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, "The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known. To them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought he was a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you here anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So there is Luke's account. Now, on to John. Thank you for your patience. I hope that you're listening closely. That you're noticing little details that are a bit hard to reconcile. Let's look at John now, chapter 20. <clears throat> now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then Simon Peter, following him, went into the tomb, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But he did not know that it was Jesus. <coughs> Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the, jan- the gardener, I said, not a janitor, a gardener, he s- she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that, all, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you... Withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, who was one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of his nails and place my finger under the mark of under the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, this disciple his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Alright, now you might be royally confused by this time. So many of these details, they don't seem to mesh. Um, However, you need to understand that when these men wrote this gospel, they were under no obligation to include every single detail. John especially tends to focus on individuals. And if there were five individuals there, John might only mention one. Also, the texts do not always indicate the the passage of time between events. Um, For example, between the, the angel sitting on the stone and the women appearing at the tomb. There may have been quite a long time in between. But I'm going to do my best without any notes and I literally had 24 separate events written out in detail and putting them in order so that you could get it I'm going to do my best with the notes I was able to scratch during the singing time. So, what we'll do today is three things. First, we'll look at the actual events of the resurrection and put them in order as best as, at least as best as I can, from looking at the text and reconciling them. And then we're going to look at the witnesses, the specific witnesses or the evidence, the events, and then the evidence of the resurrection of Christ. And then we're going to look at the eternal. Um, consequence or the eternal um, significance of the resurrection to us and to the whole church and to the whole world. So let's try to put these events in order. First there's an earthquake. It's a massive earthquake and during that earthquake or coinciding with that earthquake an angel comes and rolls the stone away from the tomb. He then seemingly nonchalantly sits on the tomb and maybe, I don't know whether he winks at the disciples or that's, I don't know what interaction went in but these guys are freaked out and they faint, they pass out as dead men they've never seen anything like this between the earthquake, the angel uh, I don't know even whether they saw the resurrected Christ, we don't know that but what they saw was sufficient to spook them supremely. Now, probably what happened, because we don't read anything more about these soldiers except that they ran to the Jews, probably what happened is they came to after a while. Maybe they looked in the tomb. They saw the body was gone. They thought, man, are we in trouble? We failed at our mission. Our centurion is going to be coming after us. Um, And so they scattered, and they went to the Jews because they knew they might have some leverage with the Jews to try to Uh, Get their stories together. So that they wouldn't be in trouble. So the soldiers depart. Meanwhile. Sometime. Before. And this all happens between. 6 p.m. On Friday night. Which is the beginning of the Sabbath. Or no. 6 p.m. on Saturday night. I should say. Which is the end of the Sabbath. And and then 6 a.m. Which is or between there and dawn on Sunday morning. So that's when this is all happening. We don't know how long the angel sat there. We don't know when this actually happened, but we know it happened sometime before any of the women got there. All right, meanwhile, the women leave for the tomb. Now, they may have been woken by the earthquake. I would imagine if it was an earthquake, the whole area was affected. They weren't sleeping well anyway, They were distraught over Jesus, so what do women do when they're distraught, and when they're worried, and when they're concerned? They find other women. And so they went, and they they gathered together, and they said, well, what can we do for Jesus? Well, let's take some spices, let's go anoint him. So it's still dark. It might, it, it hasn't even, it's not even dawn yet, and they set out. They've probably got their little lamps, or maybe the full moon is bright enough that they can see where they're going, and they leave for the tomb. Now among these women is Mary Magdalene. Now that disputed section of Mark that I didn't read, the first verse of that says Mary Magdalene was the one whom Jesus, from whom Jesus had cast seven demons, and I I don't think there's any reason to disbelieve that. In any case, there is a particular affection and love, and a, a sense of gratitude that Mary has for Jesus. Perhaps a deeper relationship than with any of these other women. We don't even know how many. Um, I think Matthew and Mark mention two. John mentions two. Luke mentions at least four. And then more besides that. So it was a company of women. And it's, it's not a crime to mention only two or mention only one. It doesn't negate the presence of the other. So just keep that in mind. But... So Mary, and I, I, you have to use a little bit of mind's eye and you have to construct possibilities because you have to, if, you, if I were presenting a case to you, I would present to you the possibilities. This could have happened and it would still uphold the plausibility of the whole thing. So possibly Mary, and I would say even likely, Mary runs ahead of the rest. She wants to get there to spend a few quiet moments remembering Jesus. I believe she was one who anointed him beforehand for burial. And so she comes and wanting to spend some time with Jesus. And so she runs ahead. She might even take a shortcut that she knows just to get there more quickly. But she runs ahead she gets to the tomb first and she doesn't linger at the tomb she sees that the the stone has been rolled away and she immediately assumes the worst she thinks someone has come and taken the body there's an earthquake i think maybe it was a lot like it is now if there's an earthquake or some natural disaster people start looting but tomb robbery or grave robbery was quite a common thing and sometimes there was there were valuable garments or other things in with the people in the tomb. So her assumption is either either the, the grave has been robbed or someone has, for whatever reason, maybe it was the Jews, maybe it was someone meaning well, but they've taken the body away. And the thought of her not having these moments together and not knowing what happened to the body of Jesus... It's very disturbing to her. It would be disturbing to any Jew. The physical body is very important in the whole understanding of the afterlife that the Jews at that time had. You, you even see that today when there's a terrorist attack and there's a bombing and there's fragments of flesh and bone all over. There are special, as a special um, group of Orthodox Jews that have, uh, they usually have yellow reflective jackets, and they go and they carefully gather up the remnants, and they try to, as best they can, assemble the bodies, because it's their belief that they will have a a better resurrection. So imagine his body is gone, she doesn't know what's happened to it, and she comes to the tomb, and she sees it's empty, and seeing that the tomb is empty, seeing that the, the stone is rolled away... She runs back as fast as she can. And I don't want to be sexist in this, but I think she wants to talk to some men about this. She wants someone to help her. She knows what the women think. She, and she wants to go and talk to Peter and John. They're, they seem to be the most respected, um, or among the, most, the inner core of Jesus' disciples. So she hustles back. And I don't know whether she would have met the women still coming. Or whether she would have gone another way. Even if she met the women, they weren't the one I mean, she could have told them the grave is the, the stone is rolled away and it wouldn't have fazed the women. They would still want to go see. They were most of the way there anyway. So Mary continues back. And she finds Peter and John. Meanwhile, the other women come to the tomb. The angel says to them, he's not here, he's risen, come see the place where where he lay. Now that's what Matthew says, and then Luke has them entering the tomb, I think Mark does as well. But there are two angels, so just because one author says an angel and the other say two, it doesn't mean that the other account is lying. If If there were two, then there was one. Keep that in mind. So, they enter the tomb, and the angel inside the tomb reminds them of the things Jesus taught. The Son of Man must be crucified, and then he will raise again on the third day. Go and tell the disciples that he will meet them in Galilee. Well, they linger for probably not a long time. They've got incredible news. They want to go tell the other disciples. And on their way back, they meet Jesus. And Jesus, he after calming them down, they, they 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 when they see him, they know him, which is interesting because the disciples didn't immediately know Jesus, the ones on the road to Emmaus, and neither did Mary. But these women, they know him, and and he he greets them, and and then the women they they immediately begin to worship him. They they throw themselves in the ground, they grab hold of his feet and his ankles, and they begin to worship him. And Jesus is only concerned that they go back and they tell the disciples, tell the disciples, I will meet them in Galilee. All right, this is all fascinating, but the women, they return. They return on the orders of Jesus and of the angel. They return. They come back to the tomb. Or they come back to where Peter and John and the other disciples are. Mary's already there. Who knows what she said already. It may be that she has said. In fact, it tells John tells us what she says. They have taken away the Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Something like that. I should actually have my Bible open to see that. Anyway, she tells them that the, Jesus' body has disappeared. The other women come and say... Oh, we went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. We went in and the angel was there and, and he told us, uh, Why do you seek the living among the dead? And he's not here as he is risen. And go back and tell the disciples. So here we are, we're telling you. And they're all excited. And they're all talking at once. And the disciples, Luke says it so well. It seemed like they were talking nonsense. It seems like they were speaking. Uh, someone look it up there. What was the phrase that Luke uses? What's that? Idle tales, yeah. You know, that that way that men sometimes think of women. I'm not saying it's right, but idle tales. And yet, and then they have this parallel account of Mary who says, uh, they took someone took the body of Jesus. You see, Mary has not yet had the account of the angels. She's not seen Jesus. She's gone back on her own. And the other, so the disciples are trying to sort out all of this, this confusion. And they do their best, but Peter and John say, well, I don't know what they said, but they took off. They said, we're going to investigate. And they run as fast as they can. John is almost certainly the younger man. He runs a lot faster than Peter and he gets there first. He's also a more thoughtful man. So he stops at the tomb. He's not going to jump to any radical conclusions. He's going to maybe see if it's safe to go in there and stays. Peter catches up, huffing and puffing, and he doesn't even hesitate at the door. He dives right into that tomb, and, and he's got to see what's happening. And, of course, uh, we've never seen Peter just dive into anything, have we? we? We've never seen him be impulsive. Of course we have. He was the first into the water when when Jesus was walking on the water. Um, he he has, was the first to speak in many situations, and sometimes it was good, and sometimes it wasn't. So Peter, he's he's right in there, and Peter finds in the tomb he finds the uh, linen cloths. Now the other one of the other gospels at least calls it calls it a linen shroud, and John uh, and uh, John uses the plural um, cloths. Um, there really isn't a discrepancy because the plural and the singular are. Pretty much, they're, they're, they're identical in the Greek. But the idea is this shroud would have been wrapped around, uh, whether it was a large, a great large cloth just kind of wrapped or whether it was a long strip. It was wrapped around the body. So they find this and they find the, the headpiece laid off to the side. So Peter's in there. He's looking at this. And then John finally enters. And Peter, he's still processing. For once, Peter is without words. Um, he's, not, he's not jumping to a conclusion. And he's, we, we don't know what he's thinking. We don't know that he did not believe. We're just not told. But John comes in. And John, who wrote this letter, this gospel that we've been reading, for the very purpose that these things are written, that you might believe that Jesus Christ is a son of God, and that, you, that believing you might have life through his name. John writes of himself, whom he is incognito as a disciple whom Jesus loved, He writes, um, John saw and believed. So, the uh, disciples having seen this, having seen only the evidence, the angels have made themselves scarce. There are no angels in the tomb when Peter and John go in. Having seen the evidence, John having put the evidence together, the evidence of the empty tomb and the empty grave clothes, having put that together with the testimony of the women, he believes. He knows Jesus came from the dead. He does not yet know, as he admits in this scripture, he does not yet know from the scriptures. He knows from what he has seen, and what he has heard, and what he has put together in his mind, Jesus has risen from the dead. But he's still clueless. ...about the scriptures that testified to that. He has not absorbed properly the teaching of Jesus. So John and Peter return. Meanwhile, Mary... ...she has probably been following along. Coming back from telling them that Jesus' uh, body has been taken... Coming back from having heard the other woman say, "Well, he's uh, he's risen," and the angel told us, and we met him. So she's coming back to investigate. She's probably not running nearly as fast as the men, if she's running at all. She's probably processing this and trying to make sense of it in her head because she saw the tomb and it was dark and there was no one in there. So she's coming back. I don't know whether they meet on meet paths or not. The, the disciples may have gone another way. May, Mary may have gone another way. But even if they do meet, and if they do speak, the Bible doesn't say one way or the other. Mary doesn't learn any new information from these guys. The tomb is empty. Maybe she learns that the grave clothes are in there. But she's still got to go see for herself. John could say, I believe Christ was risen from the dead, but so so did the other women. Peter is probably not saying anything. So, she arrives back at the tomb. And she approaches the tomb and I'm going to just open my Bible so we can follow closely from now on. I'm sorry if I've missed things and I've muddied things but I don't have my clear notes in front of me. Um, So in John chapter 20 let's just pick it up where, where Mary comes into the tomb. Mary Magdalene that is. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. So the angels, have, they've come back into the tomb. I don't know where they were or whether they just didn't reveal themselves to the disciples. But they're there. And we, this, is, this is where we see the two angels together. I don't think we ever see that in the other Gospels. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. You see, you see how I've put things together thus far to make sense of the fact that Mary doesn't know anything. The other Gospels would you would assume that all the women went back together, and Mary was with them. And then you would wonder, well, why is Mary still at the tomb, and why does she still why does she still not understand? You see, there's there's things going on here that uh, you have to you have to do some work to figure out what's happening. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. So the angel asks her a question. She's um, certainly awestruck by what she's seeing, but it fits with what the other women have said. And she's kind of in shock. She sees Jesus. She turns around and saw Jesus. Now maybe she saw a movement out of the corner of her eye, but for some reason she turns. She, She senses that there's someone behind her. She turns and sees Jesus. Uh, standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I don't think Mary is anywhere close to having eloquent words. So supposing him to be the janitor, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, just one word, Mary. And she heard the voice that had called the demons to come out of her. She heard the tender, loving voice that had addressed her many times as one of his female disciples. She heard that voice of authority. And she recognized when, when, when it said her name, when Jesus said her name, she recognized the voice. Immediately she turn, turns and she says to him in Aramaic, which would be her mother tongue, her heart language. She said, Rabboni, teacher. She recognizes him. Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, I love this. Allow me to read between the lines. Again, why would Jesus say, do not cling to me? Do you think maybe she was clinging to him? Do you think maybe realizing that Jesus was alive and was standing there speaking to her and calling her by name, Mary? Don't you think she flung her arms around him and, and wouldn't let go? And can't you just see Jesus peeling her arms off don't cling to me. I, I've got to ascend to my Father in heaven. You know, I've, I've, I've got lots of work to do. In any case, uh, you see this outpouring of, or this intimate moment between Mary and Jesus. And so Jesus says, um, Go tell my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. She then went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, that he has seen these things. And that he had said these things to her. So, that is all happening in the early morning. But this is a long day. And I don't know if you would notice as you read through before all the things that happen on the same day. Next thing that happens on the evening of that day, first day of the week. And by the way, the phrase first day of the week is emphasized again and again and again. They don't even say the third day after the resurrection. It's always the first day of the week. Something new is starting here. It's the Lord's day. It's the day he rose from the dead. Everything has changed from this point on. In in scripture, the number eight typifies a new beginning. Seven days completes a week. The next day, the first day, is a new beginning. This is a new beginning. It's the beginning of uh, life through Jesus Christ. It's uh, It's the beginning of the hope of the resurrection for everyone. So the Jews came and stood on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. Now you find this, I forget which other gospel, but I'm hurrying here. But you find the same account. Um, Now what's missing here, in between, is Luke's account of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But that happens in between. That happens in the afternoon. This happens in the evening. So in between here, Jesus has met the disciples, the, the two disciples on the Emmaus road, and has testified about himself, explained to him from the scriptures exactly who he is. And then finally, the Lord has opened their eyes, through his breaking of the bread and blessing it and distributing it to them, and they immediately recognize him as Jesus. And, and as soon as they recognize and they, they looked at each other with their mouths open, and then they turned back and poof, Jesus is gone. He's nowhere to be found. So that's happened in between. Those two disciples then, they come and they join the group that we're looking at right here. And it says the 11, um Evidently, there were the eleven did show up there, but when Jesus appeared to them, Thomas wasn't with them at that point. So Thomas had to have a special engagement with Jesus later on, where he repeats showing them his hands and his feet, and, and gives Thomas the opportunity to put his hand in his side. So that that doesn't happen until eight days later. But there, at some point, the eleven disciples are gathered in this place along with many other people who have followed Jesus and understand. That are, are, are just trying to piece together what has happened. And they're gathered there. They've locked the door. They're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid that the Jews are going to accuse them of stealing the body. Which they have. Which they do. Uh, they blame the stealing of the body on Jesus. And they make this big conspiracy with the Roman soldiers. So they're hiding. All of a sudden Jesus appears in their midst. Putting the accounts together they think they've seen a ghost. Now some, who are already convinced, some already know that Jesus is risen from the dead, but we're told that it is because of joy and because, of, uh, because they're overwhelmed that they can't believe. It's like, I can't believe it! Like, is it, is it really you, Jesus? I mean, I believe it, but I can't believe it. And so Jesus says, okay, some of them think he's a spirit. So Jesus says, well... Have you ever seen a spirit with with, with hands and feet? And he shows them his hands and his feet. He extends them as if to say, touch them. See if I'm real. And then he does the most interesting thing. Just to make sure that they have no doubt whatsoever. Guys, do you have anything to eat? So they bring him out some broiled fish. And he eats it in front of them. You see what Jesus is doing? He's showing them. That he is really raised. That his body has a physical structure. And yet this body, it's like nothing they've ever seen. Because he appeared in the midst of them. And the door was locked. He walked and talked and broke the bread for the disciples. He held that physical bread in his hands and they heard him and they saw him they may have touched him in that little village after they had been on the road to Emmaus and and when they looked up he was gone there's there's a different essence it's the same body but it's changed there's a different quality to it this body is not inhibited by locked doors. This body is not inhibited by distance and barriers. It's, as Paul described, a spiritual body. It is a body. It is a heavenly body. It has a structure, it has a semblance, but it is not flesh and blood as an unchanged, corruptible human body. So after this, Jesus has the specific encounter with Thomas so that all 11 of the remaining disciples are equally convinced. And next time you see, you hear someone accuse Thomas of being the doubting disciple. Remember that all the other guys doubted too, and they got the same object lesson. Thomas is just singled out a little bit later on. Then Jesus said, Blessed you believe because you see, blessed are those. Have not seen and yet lived. Alright, so that is the account. Those are the events of the resurrection. And I'm not saying that I'm infallible in that. There are many harmonies of the gospel, and I've I've taken bits and I've I've tried to understand this, but it's an amazing picture of all of these events. And I would think that anybody investigating any event in history would have to go through this process of pulling all these accounts together and and seeing how they intersect. This I know, everything in these accounts is true because I believe in God's work in preserving, or in inspiring and preserving Scripture. God doesn't inspire people, He inspired His Word. The Word itself is God-breathed. And these men wrote exactly what needed to be written down, they wrote it down truthfully, they wrote it down maintaining their own integrity as individuals, they write with their own style, and yet they spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, these words are true, I do believe we have some transmission issues where things have been placed in the text, but the words that uh, of the scriptures, of the, especially of those older manuscripts, they all hold together in a, in a unity. So we've seen this story, and it is a it is a true account. I believe it is a wonderful account. It is all the more compelling because of the discrepancies that we're or the seeming discrepancies that we have to resolve. Those are the events. But within these events are so many evidences, so many witnesses to the resurrection. There's a witness of the angels. Now, I don't know. It doesn't appear that any created being witnessed the actual resurrection of Christ. The angel rolled the stone away. Whatever happened in the tomb was probably between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so nobody was there taking pictures. We don't know what happened inside the tomb, but we do know that Jesus was raised again incorruptible and that the uh, the bandages that were wrapped around him had they could not restrain him. I would li- like to have an image in my mind of sort of like a an empty cast. All of these hundred pounds of herbs are of herbs and of, of of aloes that were wrapped around there and uh, it was no obstacle. Jesus somehow passed through and left it laying there. So there's a witness of the angels They know that Jesus raised from the dead. They saw him after the resurrection, okay? And so they saw that. There's the witness of the soldiers, whatever they saw. They saw a lot. They went and they told the Jews exactly what they had seen. And they weren't about being Romans who were skeptical of the Jewish religion and had mocked Jesus, perhaps some of them. Uh, They weren't about to make up a bunch of Jewish-sounding fairy tales, they, they, you know, they were like drag men, you know, just the facts, man. They reported exactly what they said, or what they saw. So so there's that witness. They saw a miracle, at the very least. There's the witness of the angels to the women who arrived first at the tomb, or to, pardon me, there's a witness of the angels who arrived at the tomb. Uh, um, And the angels... Testified of Jesus' resurrection. There is the witness of Jesus himself appearing to those, that group of women on their way back. Uh, there is the witness of the women to the disciples. Multiple women. All kinds of them. There was this big flock of women that came back from the tomb and, and, and explained what they'd seen. And all of them agreed, except for Mary, who had seen something different. Then there's the witness of the empty tomb to Peter and John, and of the empty grave clothes. And John saw that and believed. There is... <clears throat> and then there's a witness of Jesus through the scriptures to the disciples on the road to Emmaus isn't it interesting that before Jesus reveals himself and before he gives them the easy path to faith he preaches the gospel he points them to the scriptures and he says there that's your Messiah there, there, there that's where he's raised from the dead you see and the people, the men, they're so entranced with this; and they want him to stay, and they make him stay. And of course, then there is a witness through his breaking of the bread, physical bread with his physical hands. There's that witness, and and the, then their eyes are open. I believe it was God who opened their eyes. He wanted them to first hear the word and then see Jesus. That's always the way it happens. It's the way it happens today. We hear the word. We hear the gospel. Jesus is clearly portrayed as crucified, as buried, as risen from the dead before us. And then God opens our eyes to see and we understand what he has done. We believe and are saved. There is the witness of Jesus as he appears to his disciples in that room. Now, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he said he appeared first to the disciples uh, and then to, or uh, he doesn't actually mention the, the women in this account. Probably because, um, probably because it, 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 as, as, uh, as witnesses, they wouldn't be regarded with the same authority in that culture in which they live. So anyway, Paul explains that at one point, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. Most of whom were still alive when he wrote this and distributed this letter and sent it to the Corinthians. They could go and they could verify with with some of the people that he mentioned. So there is that witness. There, There is just witness after witness, detail after detail. Little details like him eating the fish, like the women grabbing hold of his feet, like Mary clinging to him. Like him breaking the bread. Jesus. It was not a phantasma. It was not a a psychedelic experience. You know the, the disciples. It wasn't that they had bad mushrooms the night before. This was full sensory experience. With a real individual. In real circumstances. Eating real food. And so on. So Jesus truly wrote rose from the dead. Then, the more you look, the more testimony of this you find. Even these apparently divergent accounts written many years after the death or after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They they all find a way to complement each other in such a beautiful testimony. So that is the evidence of the resurrection. I know this is a long message and I'm almost done. What about the eternal significance? Why does it matter? What is different between this resurrection and the resurrection of Lazarus, which was an amazing thing? This rotten old guy being in the the tomb four days, stinking, and yet raised from the dead at the call from Jesus. What was the difference? The difference is that Jesus was raised again, incorruptible. It was that he was raised as the first fruits the firstborn among many brothers. That was a prototypical resurrection that is in store for everyone who trusts in the death, burial, and resurrection as, of Jesus Christ as their atonement for sin, as their ransom, as their propitiation, as their Savior, as their Lord. That is the eternal significance. When, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, it was only, it was only an appetizer for what would happen when Jesus rose from the dead. And Martha said to, Martha spoke to Jesus, and and uh, in fact, I want us to look here. This is where we'll close in John uh, chapter eleven, I believe it is. Let's start at verse fourteen to see the, the reality of Lazarus's death. Then Jesus told them plainly. Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not here, that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, and his fellow disciples said, Let us go, that we may go with him. Um, I started too early there. Okay, let's go to about verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Mary is quite the Bible scholar already. She understands that. She's been taught by the Pharisees who believe in the resurrection. She's heard Jesus talking. Jesus said to her, I... I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, though he were dead, though he died, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha's reply, she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. See the hope the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only the hope of an afterlife of a of a glorified body of being in the presence of Christ forever and ever. It's more than that. He who believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live. There is spiritual life immediately for everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus. And everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus, when they die, it'll be like Jesus on the cross. Into your hands. Father, Lord, I commend my spirit. There is an unbroken fellowship. There is no dark holding place of Hades or Sheol. It is present with the Lord. That And that—that that is an immediate thing. But... What is amazing is that that life begins the moment that the Holy Spirit brings a heart to life. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mary, Martha believed that the Son of God who was coming into the world. We can look back and say, we believe in the Son of God who came into the world. The Son of God who said he was the resurrection and the life. And then the Son of God who was raised from the dead to show that he is the resurrection and the life. And so, I will leave you with that question that Jesus posed to Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe, as Mary said, that he, had, that he was a Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world? Believe those things. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, I know I said I closed to the last verse but I think this one's better Romans 10 if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for uh, let me find verse 10 here for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the mouth, with the mouth, pardon me, with the heart, one believes and is justified. Wow, justification by faith. Simply believing, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So my invitation and the invitation of Scripture is to come to Jesus to call on His name, recognizing who He is, that He is a resurrection and a life, that He is the perfect sacrifice for sin, but that He did not remain dead, that He's alive. As that risen Savior, He is the only one who can save you and give you eternal life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, um, just for your help in getting through an immense amount of material in these accounts. And Lord, there's so much more. And I pray that as we reflect upon these things, we would rejoice.